That's a scream. and welcome to Ornate Stairwells, a movie podcast. I'm Autumn, and I'm joined as always by Neve. Hi, I'm Neve. And we watched one movie. Yeah. <laughs> you might look at the uh, exportodd.io slash stairwell quality and see, the, and see the spreadsheet and see other weeks where we watched 67 movies. Yeah. This week we watched one. Yeah. Um, for my... Lem, however, has watched a bunch of movies, it sounds like. Yeah. Lem, you want to come in and buy a guess? Um, part of it, I probably could have watched some movies during work. Um, I've just been, like, going into to podcast zone, mm-hmm. and then 
like the stuff that I was doing. So I have like my main job and that changes all the time normally. Mm -hmm. And then I still have what my main job is going to be supposedly, but they just moved me to another department for a while because they're not having me do that job right now. Stuff with my company is weird and it's all like a byproduct of they don't lay people off, but um, it is still sometimes just weird to be like, well, I just am doing a different job now. But anyway, they moved me to another department and I was doing something for a while. And that was like just purely looking at spreadsheets and super easy to watch movies while I was doing it. And then that ended and then they put me on another project um, that involved a lot of like doing between screens and shuffling around and like reading lots of things. And so I just never was in a watching a movie mood Um, because I was just doing all that. And now they that was for like a week and now they're already moving me to something else. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's just like what my job is right now. So but so all of my like watching movies during work time i just didn't do yeah um and then pretty much any time that i've not been working or taking care of a toddler or like having to do stuff for podcasts i've just been reading nana yeah that's all i've been doing with my life um we'll see i might try and figure out some something to do with like podcasting about it because it's just like burning a hole in my head Um, but i don't i don't know what it's gonna be the thing is I'll finish Berserk and I'll just read Nana. Yeah. And we'll just podcast about it, I feel like. Yeah. Because I don't think it's going to burn a hole in my brain the way that it is with you. But, like, Berserk, because of comments Mira has made, has made me want to go read more, like, shoujo stuff. And because of the comments he's made, I want to read the stuff that influenced him, which is much older, like year 24 stuff. But I want to just talk to you about Nana. So, and I read one chapter and I thought it was phenomenal. And I watched one episode and I thought it was phenomenal. So I will, I will read Nana and we will podcast about it in some capacity. I still might podcast about it before you, depending depends if i can find a willing person to podcast with me i'm probably gonna do it shrug that would be great because like i think i'm gonna really enjoy nana i don't think i'm just gonna like eat my entire brain the way it's eating yours (laughs) yeah we'll see uh i for my part um i'm like work has been weird where i'm not working you know, people who've been listening to the show for a long time might remember before I moved to Chicago, I was in a position at my job where I was working 50-hour weeks, you yeah. know? I'm not doing that anymore. I'm working half that now. Yeah. I'm trying to get more hours, but I'm working a lot less. However, the hours that I am working are so stressful for reasons I don't really want to get into on air. It's just work has been very... Very challenging. Yeah. And when I'm not at work, you know, um, I'm just still, I counted this week. I was like, we've only lived in Chicago for four months. Yeah. And this week I've just been feeling a lot of the growing pains of like, oh man, we said we were going to buy a bookshelf and put it there, but I still have all these boxes there that I need to put in the closet, but I can't get into the closet because we bought this thing that we need to, this dresser from Ikea that we need to put together so that we can... It's a whole thing. I'm just feeling a lot of 
stress and I can't do much about it because I come home from work and I'm tired and Nora is working 40 to 48 hours a week and so she's tired too. So I'm the the time that I was watching movies, I have watched so many YouTube channels that I barely like. Yeah. I have just been watching so many YouTube channels where it's like a 30-minute video and I laugh twice and I'm like, that was okay. Always oh, got one about laugh tracks and sitcoms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's fine. You know, that is like valid time for me to spend. And you know, the the time I'm not spending doing that, I'm reading Berserk, which I find like actually like fulfilling in the same way that I find like watching a movie fulfilling. So yeah. whatever. Who cares? Yeah, that's the big thing with me reading a bunch of Nana is that it's just like a thing that I want to spend my time on right now. Yeah. And that is like actively using my brain. Yeah. And I, I'm kind of excited about it too. Cause I feel like I'm going to finish it and I'm not going to be like churning through manga in the same way that I am right now. I don't think, mm-hmm. but I feel like it has helped get my brain back into, Oh, I'm going to spend tonight reading, which is just a thing yes. I wasn't doing for a while. That is my hope too, is that like I can ride berserk into not, I'm going to read, you know, whatever i i read 20 volumes 23 volumes of into berserk like i read 23 volumes in a week i don't think i'm gonna be at that pace but it would be nice once i finish berserk to be at like i'm going to read one or two nights a week yeah you know um sorry what if the you can fuck are you up to sorry if you can hear uh lem fitting himself into a wine box that's now empty you, you have to scratch in the wine box Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, and it's also to the point where it was, I was watching the Nana anime mm-hmm. when I was doing my, like, biking. Lem. <laughs> this is the worst Lem invasion ever. Um, <laughs> it was like, I was biking during my normal biking time because I work from home. That's changing soon, kind of, a little bit. I don't know. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Anyway, because um, also I'm in like a role where I, they don't really need me in the office. And also I'm going, I've had a lung infection since December and I'm going to the doctor again on uh, Monday and I'm going to ask her like, hey, how do you feel about me going back into an office mm-hmm. when I have a lung infection? But anyway, um, all that to say, I was watching the Nana anime when I was taking my lunches Um and now I'm just also reading the manga there because I'm just I want to <laughs> I want to like get through the manga and then I can just like take the you know I'll still probably watch the anime but I can like be a little mm-hmm. bit more leisurely with it because I'll like have it finished yeah but I sense. also know the anime like I've already gotten to where the anime ends mm-hmm. in my read through so. okay um because I I'm pretty sure I know the episode that it ends on um and it is. That is, came and went. Yeah. It's kind of a weird place to end. I, like, I'll have to see how they do it in the show. I'm assuming they'll, like, add some stuff. Cause... I, w- I wonder if it's one of those things um, where it's like, oh, we thought we were going to get renewed and we didn't, so we'll just cut it off here. The part that kind of makes sense is that it's, if people have read Nana, this is not revealing too much, but, like, in the manga, there's a chapter where you see a brief time skip into the future, Mm -hmm. and you see, like, characters older, and I think it ends right there, 
which makes sense because there's a bit of a time skip, uh-huh. but also like leaves a bunch of stuff hanging in a way that I wonder how they're going to like wrap it up. Like, I wonder what they're going to do. And some mm-hmm. of it might be they just don't start lines. And some of it might be, yeah, what you're saying. But anyway, I, not to talk a bunch about Nana again. I always think about the Oron manga to anime thing. Because, like, the weird thing with Host Club was that, like, the manga goes a lot longer than the show does. Yeah. But neither the manga nor the show have any plot, so to speak. It's kind of just... The gang gets up to this this week. Oh, then the gang gets up to that. Um, so the only real difference is that, like, the the anime ends on, is Haruhi going to get with Tamaki or or Glasses One, whose name I forget. Yeah, I don't remember. And the, the, the manga ends on, she gets with fucking Tamaki. Are we kidding here? <laughs> What do, we, what do we fucking do? And of course she gets with Tamaki. That's who yeah. she belongs with. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's the fucking... Dra- <laughs> Listen, Harvey is intensely trans mask, and of course she gets with the femboy. It yeah. just makes sense. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm fully at the part in the manga now where it is like gone into soap territory because it's just become mm-hmm. like her forever manga. Um, and so some of it is like, I don't know, it's getting to the point where I like want something to have closure and then I also know that it probably won't because it ended so abruptly. Yeah. yeah. So, but I'm just kind of, I want to like get to the end of what exists Mm -hmm. and then be able to sit with what that is and then like be happy or, or whatever if it is able to continue. Yeah. So. Um, and I just, I'm, I love those kids and I'm sad about those kids and I want to like push through so that I can just like get out of being in the Nana hole, kind of. <laughs> like some of it is that I really love it and some of it is that like, I'm sad about these kids and I want to stop being sad about them and just like know what, know everything that there is to know about them so far. Yeah. So, um. uh, catch me somehow figuring out how to translate the Nana PS2 game and PSP game. And I think <laughs> there was like another PSP game or something. Um, That's when you'll know I'm too far gone. <laughs> Do we want to talk about the movie that we watched? Yeah, I you, feel like you, I had, you're like considering something. I feel like I had something else like, oh, I didn't watch a movie, but I watched this, or... Mm. But you watched a Brandon Sanderson video, and then I had to show it to me. <laughs> I watched... Nora watched Moon Knight, or the first episode of Moon Knight. Mm. Yeah, Emily also watched this. It, well, so, you and I had very similar experiences of Moon Knight, where our spouses were watching Moon Knight while we read comics and yeah. kind of looked up at the screen every now and then. And I don't know what you thought, but I thought that looks dumb. And then Nora was like, that was actually pretty good, <laughs> which like Nora doesn't like Marvel stuff. So I guess maybe it's actually good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was, I was like really just focused on reading. And so my main impression of it was there's whatever the venom voices that he has, um, and I swear to God, it's as loud as the PlayStation 4 startup sound. Um, <laughs> it's just like significantly louder than anything boom, else in that show. Boom, yeah. Boom. Um, <laughs> just the ambient sound of a PlayStation 4 is deafening. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and it was just like, cause everything else was like kind it was all like roughly the same level in a way I could tune it out. And then that voice would talk and it would just be for some reason, way louder than anything else in that show. And every time I was just like, ah, what the fuck? Cause I like heard every single word that that thing said, whatever it is. I don't even know what it is. I know. It's Venom. I, so. Eddie. I don't know how they do it in adaptation because it is you would get turbo canceled if you did this um, in a TV show in 2022 to the point where I think even the comics have changed this. But I don't fucking keep up with Moon Knight, so I don't know how they changed it. But the when I first became aware of Moon Knight through Marvel Ultimate Alliance circa 2006... Um, the whole thing was that Moon Knight was a guy who was possessed by the spirits of nine different Egyptian gods or whatever. And so the, the, um, voice in his head is like Osiris or something. Yeah. Um, but it's not just Osiris. It's also Horus and Set. I might be mixing this up. Once again, it's been a very yeah. long time, and they've definitely retconned it because it is. You definitely cannot have a white protagonist possessed by Egyptian gods, who who um just like presents as quote unquote like you know fucking Hollywood version of schizophrenic, you know, yeah. like that's what that is. Is they wanted a you know a DID. Um, superhero, it, it, it's bad. <laughs> it's all <Yeah>. bad. <laughs> so I assume that is not what that show is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway. <laughs> oh, the other thing was that, like, oh, you want to talk for fifteen minutes about Yu-Gi-Oh? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, yes, yeah. obviously, <laughs> card games on motorcycles. Yeah. Um, but. No, the other thing I was going to say is that after Moon Knight, Nora started watching Dune. I went to bed pretty... Sorry. Noon. Noon. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> Which one? Forgive we me. We have terms for these. Forgive me. <laughs> so, Nora... Noon, not Dune or the Dooney series. Yeah. Okay. Nora started watching Noon, um, and... Not an advanced version of Tune. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't expect that one to hit that well. Tune! Anyway. (laughs) I think it was like M or someone who said, like, did the edit where you do the, like, with you know how they write yeah with all the things you yeah know? and if they don't do this then they're cowards anyway <laughs> nora was watching noon and i don't remember who it was but it was some <coughs> scorsese type it was some like beloved director of like of of days gone by who recently made a comment that was like you know all these movies now look the same. They all just look like Marvel movies. Even, uh, he, he erroneously called it Dune. 
Um, but he's like, yeah. even Dune, one of the good ones, still just kind of looks the exact same as all the bad ones. Yeah. And from from my vantage point of of Nora's on the couch, I'm on the love seat. I kind of like look up at the screen every now and then. I gotta say, Noon looks fucking indistinguishable from a Marvel movie, and that is just an aesthetic that just like just like visually. I just know that people love um, Denis Villeneuve's like movies, like just like on that level. And I was just glancing up at it periodically and being like, "This looks like shit." It might have been a good movie, but it just visually to me looked awful. So that was my thoughts. Yeah. <clears throat> I think the 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 big thing that like watching through it that I appreciated is that I felt like there was more of an attention to like. Um, actually taking cues from, like, how 80s sci-fi stuff is kind of just sometimes, like, mm, That weird. makes sense. That makes sense. You know? Like, I feel like there was an aesthetic in, like, the 70s and 80s for what sci-fi was that is not employed very often anymore, or as, like, solidified into, like, modern Star Trek aesthetic, which is still different. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, that makes sense. Like, it definitely... did you did you see the um what do they call it the the like copter things no the omnicopters or they're like weird like um dragonfly kind of things or whatever mm-hmm. like some of the like vehicles are like interestingly insectoid like I say this was just like the first yeah. thirty minutes me not watching the movie just glancing over sometimes yeah. I mean it still does not. Uh, ornithopter. Oh, um, that's a zero-cost colorless card. Yeah, look at this thing. Oh, yeah, like, okay. That's neat. Yeah. That looks, you know, that looks better than, like, what I would expect from a 2020 movie. Yeah. This is the thing is, like, I was watching it, and it's, like, it still doesn't have the, like, aesthetics and charm of Dune. Like, Dune is allowed to just be weird and gross that's the- and have, like, weird things and stuff just, like mismatches and things whereas this like has to be so much more can i roast my wife for a second yeah nora last night was like i was like who's that character i kind of remember this scene and she's like oh you know the 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 redhead guy who fights kyle mclaughlin at the end and i was like you mean sting right and she's like i guess so who's that and i was like he's in the police and she's like he was a cop <laughs> and i was like no sting and she's like i thought he was a wrestler and i felt like i was losing my mind <laughs> i you love her to remember that she grew up in a cult i love her so much but sometimes she doesn't know who the singer sting is yeah and doesn't know the song roxanne and i'm like how 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 yeah. <laughs> but i love her with my entire heart i miss um, her a lot it's been six hours since I've seen her. <laughs> Synchronicity is a great album. That's a police album, but yeah, yeah. Um, I I had a police best of that I really liked, and then every single one of their albums I went and listened to, I didn't care for. But yeah, I I like the singles. Anyway, this doesn't matter. Let's talk about the movie. Let's talk about the movie. We've been recording for a half hour. I kinda... not quite, in a little bit is going to be at the end, but. I, ca- I kind of wanted to just drag it out because I'm, I'm a jerk. Whereas I was like, let's record tonight so that we'll just like actually have a short one for once because none of us watched anything and we're going to just 
watch a movie and then I'll have more time to read Nana because I won't spend three hours recording a podcast. Meow, meow. Anyway, Blowout is a 1981 Brian De Palma film. That's what I said. You said 91. I said 91. (laughs) Roll the tapes back, listener. (laughs) (laughs) No, I believe you. I'm just, wow, I said 1991? Yeah. This movie is... Uh, whatever. Okay. It's okay. You were reading something that said 1963 earlier and said 93, and I didn't correct you because we weren't on a podcast, but... What did just, I say? You just love saying 90 instead of whatever the number is, I think. Oh, because we were talking about Blow Up, and I w- we were Googling the Yardbirds. Oh, yeah. And I said 1993? The, yeah, it was when the Yardbirds formed. Okay. Anyway. So... <clears throat> Blowout is a 1981 Brian De Palma film. You did it again. <laughs> I, it's... <laughs> Blowout is a 1981 Brian De Palma film. There you go. <laughs> uh, starring John Travolta and other people. Doesn't matter as much. Yeah. They're not as recognizable. It rocks. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I like this a lot more than Blowout. Um... John Travolta is playing the sound guy on a movie, and his boss is like, I hate all the library sounds. Just go out and, like, record your own sounds. I've I've heard all the, you know, library wind noises and, and whatever, and they're trying to get, like, a really good, like, scream yeah. from, a, from this lady, because none of the actresses that they hired can scream good. Um, it's this... Oh, yeah, this opening yeah. scene is so... We should talk about this opening scene before yeah. I actually summarize the whole movie. <laughs> um, well, and like this whole subplot about the scream is is fantastic. It's, it's so my good. favorite part of the movie, honestly. <laughs> um, which we'll get into when it ends. Why it becomes even better, but yeah, it kind of starts with being like, "Oh, this is just a slasher." Yeah, right. Um, and kind of a what? bad slasher too, because they're just moments where you're like, "How do they not know that this man is there?" Like, do you, real quick. Did you, like, know that you were watching a movie within a movie when you saw that? Like, did it play... Did, did you think this is what the movie was when it started? Um, At the very beginning, I thought this is what the movie was. And then as it was going on and getting, like, stupider, uh-huh. I was like... I don't know if this is a movie within a movie, but they're, like, doing something that is supposed to be intentionally, like... Like a fake out... Yeah, or just, like, intentionally, like, I didn't know, if I had, like, really just thought about it, I would be like, okay, this is probably a movie within a movie, Mm -hmm. but I was, there was just, like, it started with being, like, oh, maybe this is just the movie, it's gonna start with, like, the killer doing something, and then we're gonna, like, or, you know, maybe it's some person recording something, or whatever, I don't know, Mm -hmm. and then I was, like, the slasher villain, because it's all point of view shots throughout this, is, like, entering in and everything, um, a lot of the stuff just gets increasingly ridiculous that like, just like everyone is just like masturbating and having sex and he's just like <laughs> wandering into rooms and nobody's noticing him. And like, you know, yeah. um, in this like very over the top corny way. Yeah. Um, where I was like, either this movie is just like way, way goofier than I thought. Uh-huh. Cause I knew there was going to be a little bit this, like, uh-huh. it was going to maybe like touch a little bit into schlocky stuff, but also it's like Brian De Palma. I figured this, it would be, this movie is a lot less schlocky than I remember it being. Um, mostly because I remember 
partially because my tastes have shifted toward more schlocky stuff. Yeah. And partially because... This is very schlock light and is, like, more referencing schlock yes. than actually being... And, and partially because I've also seen, like, earlier Brian De Palma films that are a lot closer to this. Mm-hmm. You know? That, like... <clears throat> This tone sort of ran into blowout in a way that I don't think is true. But anyway. Yeah. Um, the other thing I want to talk about with, like, the opening scene um, is just the way that, like, the director of the movie is, like, talking to John Travolta. He's like, how long have we known each other? And John Travolta's yeah. like, well, let's see. We met on Blood Beach. Then we did Blood Beach 2. Then we did Blood at the Bordello or something. Yeah. He names, like... And then we did, like... You know, baby in blood, or whatever. like yeah. it's just a bunch of like <laughs> blood, it's... blood, blood, and then this one, and it doesn't have blood in the name. Yeah, well, it's like but yeah, it's five movies. He's like five movies, so I guess that's two years now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were just cracking up because the John Travolta just starts listing movies that we would cover on stairwell. Yeah. <laughs> We would be look. We would be like watching the on stairwells, and we pull up to like a video, and we'd be like, "The director did all five of these <laughs> in two years, and they're all masterpieces." <laughs> yeah, we did Wolf Guy, Wolf Guy Two, The Wolfening, Cry Blood of the Wolf, Wolf. <laughs> Blood Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> But we would be saying they're Japanese titles. Yeah. <laughs> That's the other thing. Anyway. <laughs> so, John Travolta is out one night. Like I say, he's supposed to be getting, like, sounds of the wind or whatever. He's just, like, mm-hmm. recording random shit in a park to get, like, sounds to put in the movie. And he happens to record this car veers off the road. He also records a weird, like, sk- sound yes. of, like, yes. something, like... Being wound or whatever, which that also uh-huh. comes up later. There's a there's a lot of stuff in the first couple minutes because before he goes out, he like watches a news broadcast that's like Governor McBrien is running yeah. against the president, and they do a composite shot to get the the like video it's on so there good. clearly. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, but yeah, there's like he, a... he walks across the screen and it does a white transition for the video. It's great. <laughs> Brian De Palma is so good when he's good. <laughs> this man loves composite shots. <laughs> there's so many in this film, and they're all great. Um, but there's a lot in the first, like, ten minutes that, like, <coughs> it's a very, like, sort of... It, literally everything in the first ten minutes is a, is a Chekhov's gun of, like, oh, the, you know, um, the president's spokesman is like, a lot can happen in one night wink yeah <laughs> and you're like oh there's a crime that's about to happen in this movie <laughs> um it was funny to me how much it stood out that they just kept saying the president yeah the president they don't say carter yeah or they reagan show the, they show the polls and it's like what what's the guy's name is mcryan Mc- mcryan and then president yeah because <laughs> <laughs> this movie is like taking coming out in 81 taking place in 79 and just like about a lot of political issues of the day but like kind of vague yeah (laughs) in a lot of ways anyway 
But also very heavy-handed with the end just having lots of red, white, and blue and American flags <laughs> and fireworks. And <laughs> I should finish the plot summary because we're yes. going off on so many tangents. So he records this car, like, tire blows out, veers off the road, goes into a lake. And he runs out <clears throat> um, after the car and, like, he sees the guy in the front of the car is dead but there's a woman in the back of the car and he gets her free and takes her to the hospital. Yeah. In the background of the uh, of the shots of him swimming, we see another man who was also there running away from the scene. Um <clears throat> and I'm going to try from here like sort of abstract out because from here it's just thriller stuff, but I wanted to get a lot of the setup. Yeah. kind of clear. Basically the um the like people involved, the the guy who was goes into the lake was Governor McRyan. He's dead. Yeah. Um. And who was like clear the clear winner of the election? Yeah. Was was president. like was absolutely going to become president. Yeah. Um. One of the people on his staff is like, "Hey, I need you to shut the fuck up about this because we can't have, you know, the the press learn that." In his dying moments, he was like with the like hooking up with this random woman. Um, and the police are like, you know, kind of telling John Travolta's character, like, hey, shut the fuck up, stop looking into this. And John Travolta, because he's you know a sound guy, like professionally, is like, <clears throat> um, I heard a gunshot before I the tire or before the car started veering off the road like yeah. i heard a gunshot i know i did yeah and the um, cops were like that was just the blood of the tire and he's like no i think it was separate from the tire exploding yeah <clears throat> and so the rest of the plot of the movie is him trying to get this evidence he ends up um bringing uh sally who was the woman in the car into this investigation because he says he needs her help i think he's just hot for her because there's no yeah. point where he needs her help I he's guess just sort of he, he does eventually need her help to get the original photographs uh-huh but he does not know that when he's like i need your help yeah he's mostly just like kind of pressuring this traumatized woman into like yeah hanging out with him a bunch <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and so yeah like he keeps trying to get like closer and closer to the truth like this other guy who we saw running away running away had filmed the whole thing um and he's been selling like bad copies to the press and so like John Travolta like syncs that up with his sound he's like look you can see but i need to get the real film so that people can yeah. really see everything and <clears throat> cuz when he syncs it up he's able to find like a little muzzle flash yeah Meanwhile, um, we get just kind of glimpses into um, John Lithgow's character, who um, is like nebulously an evil guy associated with um, the the other candidate, like the pre the president. Um, the president specifically, like the president's campaign manager, gets this John Lithgow character involved because he's like oh, we're going to lose the election. I need you to, like, make something happen so this McRyan guy goes away. And, and 
the Lithgow is like, I'm going to kill him. And he's like, no, don't kill him. And Lithgow's yeah. like, I'm going to kill him. Don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, just set him up to look like an affair. And then yeah, he is like, no, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> but then, um, and then he's all, <laughs> John Lithgow's character is also like, the 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 one scene where we really see him talk to the president's campaign manager, he's like, "Don't worry about it. I know I killed him. I know you didn't want me to kill him. I'm just I've I've got the whole cover up set up. I've got a I erased the sound guy's tapes. I gotta track down that film. That'll be I I can't figure that out yet, but we'll get there. I gotta kill the girl, and then so that nobody suspects why I killed the girl." I'm just going to go around killing a bunch of sex workers throughout Philadelphia. And the president's campaign manager is like, I don't fucking know you, dude. (laughs) And then (laughs) later on, a reporter gets like information about it and is investigating it. And it's never explained what his source is, but I kind of suspect that the source is that politician being like, I need to like. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like if I like go to the like the reporter and stuff and I'm just like. You that know. makes sense. I hadn't connected that dot, but that would make a lot of sense that it was like the the politician who's like, I got in too deep and like need to not have this like reflect poorly on us somehow. How can yeah. I like manipulate this? I'll leak some stuff to the press, maybe, you know, yeah. <clears throat> that was that was my guess there. But but yeah, Steph just kind of keeps escalating. Um <clears throat> And eventually, like, you know, John Lithgow's character, like, totally gets the better of John Travolta's character and is able to cover this up. And in, like, the big climactic scene... Oh, I should set up one other thing. Is that early on, Sally, the, the, the woman who was with Mick Ryan, who John Travolta just has tagging along now, is like, oh, why do you work in movies? And he's like, oh, I used to be a cop, kind of, sort of, but not... But now I work in movies. She's like, oh, don't tell me about movies. Tell me about you knew you were a cop. And he tells this story. Yeah, and he's like, well, I wasn't, like, a cop. I was part of some commission investigating corrupt cops, and I was, like, helping with wires and stuff. Yeah. He's like, I wired up this cop. <clears throat> and um, Freddy was, Caruso. Freddy Caruso. <laughs> which was, I, I pointed this out because it was cute, because we were watching the credits and one of the guys who worked on the movie was also named Fred Caruso. And I was like, yeah. Oh, pointing at screen, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's like, I wired up this cop and, um, like he started sweating a bunch and it shorted out the battery and, uh, so on his started, wire. Yeah. So it started arcing and burning him. Yeah. And so, then the 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 people that I was trying to catch caught on that this this guy was wearing a wire and killed him, and then I had to get out of the police business, basically. Yeah. Um. And so, which also kind of explains why all the police are kind of treating him like shit. Yes. Constantly, whenever he's like trying to come with them, being like, "No, I," you know. Yeah, because they're, you know, he's like oh, why don't you believe me? And he's like, I know you. You got a lot of good cops put away. Um, which is also, yeah. like, I think not true. It seems like the cops that he put away were bad cops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what is a good cop? <laughs> Wouldn't trust a cop to identify a good cop. <laughs> you got me there. <laughs> 
So the the big climactic final scene is that um Sally is like, oh, I've got a meeting with this reporter, but actually she has a meeting with John Lithgow's character, and she doesn't know that. And John Travolta is like, I feel like something's not right, but I can't figure out what it is, and he has her wear a wire. And, like, John Lithgow's character, like, gets her alone, he throws the, like, film into the sea, he throws away, like, um, John Travolta's tapes. Um, He did make a copy of the tape. He did make a copy. um, But the film is gone. The film is gone. Which is, like, the best evidence that they have, basically. Yeah. Um, And so, like, and he kills, um, he kills this Sally. Um, And the the end of the movie is basically, like, John Travolta, like, has nothing. Fireworks exploding. Well, so fireworks exploding, running up the stairs, lots of lights where it's red, white, and blue. There's a giant American flag because it's like you see Sally like leaned over a railing screaming. Hello. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) No. Okay. <laughs> we were trying to find my headphones earlier and Emily found them. Anyway. Um You gotta like really push Anyway, so like yeah, Sally's like leaned over the side of this railing, like screaming in front of this huge American flag. <laughs> yeah. Because this movie's not subtle. Um and John Travolta stops John Lithgow before he like stabs her, but that's just like yeah. part of him doing the like here's the whole th- yeah know, me making this look like a He's like, Oh, I'm gonna just make it look like there's a there's a crazy guy out strangling random women. But he's kind of just a crazy guy out strangling random women. Yeah. And he's like, no, 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 this is part of my, like, political operative stuff. But no, he's just into this. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so, um, she's already been strangled and, and has died, but, yeah, um, before John Lithgow can, like, then do the stabbing part that's, like, part of making these all look like part of the same serial killer, because he is a serial killer himself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> John Travolta, like, grabs it and stabs him. Yeah. Um, but then on the news, they're just like, oh, she managed to fight back or whatever. Yeah. And, like, John Travolta doesn't have any evidence of, like, what happened. Um, but he does have the tapes of her dying. Yeah, and so you just, like... You see him, and like, so, alone in the snow, just, like, listening to the tapes over and over again, and his yeah. life's falling apart. And then throughout the entire movie, they've been trying to get a good scream. Uh-huh. For... This is the best part of this. Yes. This is the best part of this entire yeah. movie. Yeah, <laughs> been trying to get a good scream, and it's just, like, there's, like, scenes of, like, you know, two girls in the recording booth, where, like, one of them's pulling the other one's hair, and it's just the worst ah! screams. <laughs> um, and then uses the screams of her actually dying. Yeah. And and the director's like, these are some really good screams. And he's, he's like, like, yeah, that's yeah. a good scream. Man. Yeah, it's a good scream. And he like covers up his ears whenever whenever he has to hear it. Yeah. Um, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great that the, the funny B-plot becomes the thing that he's sad about at yeah. the end. Yeah. So, so the... This is so great. The thing for me is the that whole like 
middle part that we kind of like glaze over in the summary. Yeah. That was less good than I remember it being. I remember that part being like on the same level as the conversation. And I don't think that's true. I think this yeah. movie is really good. I think all of that political thriller, like intense watergatiness of of the like second act of this movie is good, but it's not like all time classic the way that I remember it. But for me, the last like twenty minutes of like murders taking place in front of the American flag while fireworks are firing off and there's a composite shot of John Travolta with like the circling around him as he looks up over this dead woman's body and there's fireworks and it's red, white, and blue that also looks like police sirens and then it's him in the snow being sad and then he's destroyed his room just like Gene Hackman's character does. Also him trying to to find her when they get separated like oh, two separated yeah. and then he's just driving like wild through his jeep yeah. wrangler yeah <laughs> almost kills a dozen people <laughs> they th- they like endangered so many people's lives they just got like masses of stunt people to jump out of the way of a car yeah that's the thing. okay <laughs> um i think about this fucking all the time a few months ago um What's that fucking What's the what's the evil car Stephen King one? It's not um, Carrie, it's no. Christine. Christine. A couple months ago, um the the they covered Christine for just King things and there's a scene in Christine that <clears throat> the the two guys on just King things like lost their shit over um where they set a car on fire. And then they have to, like, drive the car down the road. And there's literally, like, a, 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 an actor, like, running away from this burning car. I think these movies came out the same year now that I think about yeah. it. I could be wrong. but um, And they're like, this is, like, the this is why we invented cinema. Was to, like, watch people, like, set cars on fire and chase other people down the road. And I had a similar moment of, like... Man, that you, it's 1981. You just cannot fake the fact that those people were almost hit by that car. Yeah. Like, a d- children got endangered for this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's, like, bad. I know that's bad. But also, it's, it's cinema. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is the whole thing. Like, this is one of the reasons why Police Story is one of the greatest movies ever made, is that you watch it, and there's just so many times where you're like, they almost killed that man, and most often, it's the director. (laughs) (laughs) But also, like... Brian De Palma would never put himself in the way of a Jeep Wrangler in the way that Jackie Chan would. (laughs) Um, Anyway... Um, so yeah, for me, like, some of this movie did not quite live up to my memory of it, of, like, ultra schlocky, uh, ultra trashy, but still ultra tense thriller. Some of the, like, thrillerness of it is not as tense as some other things that are coming out around the same time, and it's not as schlocky as, like, other movies that I like from Brian De Palma, or movies I like from John Carpenter. Yeah. You know, who I think is in a very similar wheelhouse. I think, and some of this too is that, like, I watched the conversation fairly recently, mm-hmm. and that was also on my mind here. 
of the conversation, like there are some great moments uh, of putting together the audio. Um, the conversation is like the, the audio design in it is just absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, and so the, the audio moments in this don't hit as well as the in audio... the conversation. My favorite part is the part where he um, has gotten, like, he's developed a film where he, like, took photos of the photos from the magazine mm-hmm. and put that onto a film that you can play. And then he's syncing that up. And so he's listening to the audio and he's listening for the moments when it's like, this hits the railing here, it, here's the splash here, and he's writing it on there so that he can actually sync the correct, like, yeah. timing on the film. That part was, was There's, like, fun and interesting to watch. But There is a, a thing where last week when we were talking about Blow Up, we both kind of hitched on, other than the mimes, the best part of Blow Up mm-hmm. is, like, him, like getting these photos and like you know blowing them up there's just not a better way to say that that's why it's called that that's that's why the movie is called that it's because he blows up the film um and like there's like and him like the the process of developing the film and like you know him getting more and more harried as he does this um and, and brian de palma like seizes on that's the best part of blow up I'm going to do it like three times in my movie. (laughs) Yeah. This is also what's great about the conversation is like seeing him like, or not seeing him, but hearing him like play with a different audio to try and get it clearly where you can hear everything. Cause really it's, it's the hearing it. That's so great. That's why like, again, I watched the conversation with noise canceling headphones on and I think it was the best decision for watching that movie. Yeah. Um, because the audio is like, everything in that movie yeah whereas in this I mean, movie it, it's well shot too but yeah in this movie i think the audio serves as like Chekhov's guns a lot yeah and um there's a lot of interesting like the process of of filmmaking and audio stuff but um i, I don't think it like is sort of like transformative of like the way that you watch the movie in the way that i think like the the conversation is like unlike any other movie because of how tuned how tuned in you are to the sound. Yeah. You know, I don't think this movie gets to that place. Yeah. And so I think in the end, I I wanted this to be schlocky. I think. Yeah. I think I would like this movie more if it was like, cause right now it is kind of in my head of like, okay, like blow up is the super arty one that, um, is by far not my favorite Antonioni. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's kind of weak for that conversation is the like just incredibly like well-made you know uh audio design is just incredible mm-hmm. and blowouts the schlocky one already in my head but i just then wish it was more that because i'd be like yeah. it's really good schlock film <laughs> yeah and i um, think you know like i say like i think like his seventies movies are are much much trashier, I think, than Blowout is, and like, I don't know. I just like wish the Blowout was as trashy as some of those. Yeah, you know, I still really enjoyed it. There's there is an uh, there is like a very, you know, last week when I was talking about like sort of my 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 reading on the themes of Blowout Blow Up, I had to sort of like really pick apart what I thought the movie was doing. Whereas this time it's like, I think the themes of, of 
blowout are pretty self-evident because the whole thing is wrapped in a sort of meta text thing of like making a movie like literally and like literally like Brian De Palma like looking backwards to some of the movies he's made previously in his career um and you know even if he was never a five movies in two years guy he knew those guys he he you know started working with Roger Corman like this is what he was doing in the 60s yeah (laughs) um And, like, you know, like, I I guess if I want to extrapolate out from that, like, oh, we made all these trashy movies, and then when something real, like Watergate happened, we, you know, we were powerless. We we were just making our trashy slasher movies, and we were just entertaining people. Um, But, like, that's not what the movie, that's not what, like, the movie's about. Like, the movie is about... Isn't this so tense and thrilling? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I wish it was just like a little. It, it's sort of like has this meta text of like, you know, thinking or of at the very least like looking back at his career of making very like lowbrow movies, and I wish this movie just was a little more lowbrow in the way that those movies are. Yeah. Um so um I think I think I wanted to bring up yeah cuz I've been kind of thinking about like I've been thinking about like okay, I watched Blow Up and I was not that impressed and I was expecting to be more impressed because I've enjoyed other Antonioni films I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> so there's a part of me being like why is this like the big one uh-huh. often? Um and so I found a, a Roger Ebert review. Roger Ebert loves this movie. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of come to a, to a conclusion, which is that I think a lot of people saw this movie when they were young. Mm-hmm. There's like a generation of people who saw this movie when they were young. And it was like an art film in the way that like it was one of the first times they were seeing an art film. Mm-hmm. The thing that you were bringing up too is that like it was his first like full English language one. Um, and so also some of this just like English language, like there's just not as much of a film going audience for like a foreign language one. And so this is just like the first time that people are getting introduced even to something like what Antonioni is doing. They haven't seen Red Desert. Mm -hmm. They're not me. They're not like, oh, Red Desert is so much better than this because they haven't seen it. Right. Because you didn't have Netflix, you know? Yeah. They've just been watching whatever was coming out at the time, which wasn't this. Right. Um, And some of it, too, is that, like, this review kind of suggests that. And I I think it's um, a thing that when I was, like, looking at other, like, reviews, especially from the time, and then also people looking back on it, I think people actually, like, we were making fun of the band. And I think, one, I listened to the actual song, like, the, the, when I was editing it, I was like, do I want to do this? the song from the band that we were making fun of. And I found it and listened to like the album recording and it was a better song. I think the live performance in it is really bad. <laughs> it's so the recorded bad. version is better. It's still not great, but I also realized then, Oh, it's the Yardbirds, like a huge band that like, you know, I think by the time that they made this, Eric Clapton had like recently left the band, but like mm-hmm. Eric Clapton yeah. got launched by the Yardbirds. Like they're, you know, I, I, I had a very, very brief 
like classic rock phase that coincided perfectly one to one with when I was into Guitar Hero and Rock Band. Yeah. And like from the from that phase I was like, "Oh, yeah, that band that like Eric Clapton and the Led Zeppelin guy were both in." Yeah. Um and so I think like we are kind of taking the piss out of this like British culture cuz I do think it's like empty and just mm. like this is empire and yeah. just like this is what like people living in this empire think called counterculture is and it's just more empire. Yeah. Like the Beatles as like counterculture to me is so laughable because it's just like you're just like pillaging from Indian music. Yeah, no. I was <laughs> That's why I like made the joke about like yeah. inventing the sitar. Yeah. Like, like, like you're the... just doing colonialism with your music. Yeah. How the fuck is this counterculture? Yeah. Um anyway. Um, and so I think some of it is that people like saw the fashion stuff and were just like, that was the fashion of the time. And so they were fully taking it. Uh This was the culture at the time and it was the hip, cool culture. And Mm -hmm. so it was hip and cool to see this in a film, to see this represented, Mm -hmm. um, in a way where, and so I might like link in the the episode description to this, uh, Ebert piece. Um, but I'm going to read a little bit from the beginning to you because I think it like captures a little bit of this and then, um, so, um, this was from 1998. Um, he had seen it uh, at a film festival, I think, uh, that was like focused on, yeah, the Virginian Festival of American Film in Charlottesville, which had cool as its theme. Um, and so he says, uh, Michelangelo Antonioni's blow up opened in America two months before I became a film critic and colored my first years on the job with its lingering influence. It was the opening salvo of an emerging film generation, which quickly lined up outside Bonnie and Clyde, Weekend, The Battles of Algiers, Easy Rider, and Five Easy Pieces. You're raising your fingers if you have a comment. Bonnie and Clyde was an intense moment of this for me, where I watched Bonnie and Clyde, let's say like 2012, um, and Bonnie and Clyde is such a movie that is like, I understand how you watch that movie in 1967 and are like, this is so, like, shocking. But, like, that movie just does not play. Nothing yeah. in that movie is shocking 15 years later. I I don't think anything in that movie is shocking compared to things that were coming out in Europe and, and Asia by the time that, that movie came out in America. I just think that people had not seen those other, like, European and Asian films. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to like skip from the introduction to this other part that ties into it. Just as you're talking where, uh, Ebert says there were of course, obvious reasons for the film's great initial success. It became notorious for the orgy scene involving the groupies. Um, it was whispered that one could actually see pubic hair. This was only seven years after the similarly breathless rumors about, uh, Janet Lee's breasts in psycho. The decadent milieu was enormously attractive at the time. Parts of the film have flip-flopped in meaning. <clears throat> Much was made of the nudity in 1967, but the photographer's cruelty towards his models was not commented on. Today, the sex seems tame, and what makes the audience gasp is the hero's contempt for women. Um, that's the end of this review. But I'm going to huh. go back to the, the intro here, um, where he says, uh, it was the highest grossing art film to date. Uh, was picked as the best 
Film of 1967 by the National Society of Film Critics and got Oscar nominations for screenplay and direction. Today, you rarely hear it mentioned. I feel like this this has kind of changed again. Mm-hmm. I feel like these critics like brought it back a little bit. Yeah. Um, it's still not mentioned, and I think in the same way that it was considered back Yeah. Then. I think... Um, and then here's the last part that I want to read just because um, so yeah. young audiences aren't interested anymore in a movie about a trendy London, London photographer who may or may not have witnessed a murder, who lives a life of cynicism and ennui, and who ends up in a park at dawn watching college kids play tennis with an imaginary ball. That part I do want to watch. No, uh, that, that part's great. <laughs> yeah. The 20-somethings who bought tickets for Blow Up are now focused on ironic self-referential slasher movies. Um that's me. I want the slasher movie. <laughs> Sometimes the self ironic self reference. You could cut the ironies a little bit, but you, you could know. just give me the slasher. Yeah, just the give me the like the the real classic slashers. But anyway, but yeah, I think some of it is just that like one. This is so tame now. Mm. Um, whereas like at the time, I think this was just shocking to yeah. people, and things have changed. Yeah, and I think it's also just the thing of like this was probably just the first art film for a bunch of people. And so then they like elevated it in their head as like, this is like uh-huh. the greatest film ever made. And then sometimes you just watch more art films and you're like, no, yeah, it's, it's just not. So yeah, not me saying that I'm better than the audiences in the sixties or whatever, but I, I just think that like culture has changed. Yeah. When I was at the university of Chicago, um, there was a professor that I wanted to take classes with and, and couldn't actually take the main classes with the whole reason why I went was that there was going to be a Norwegian professor focusing on like Nordic cinema, which is what my specialty was. It's what my thesis was about. And then because of the scheduling and they're like, yeah, you should come, but we're going to have him. And then because of the like necessary classes I had to take, I couldn't take his class, Mm -hmm. but I did still go to all the screenings and he would sometimes talk during those as well. And a, a, a big thing that he focused on is this idea of the archival turn, which is that um, film culture has changed because there is now an archival culture. Yeah. That historically, film culture was fully predicated based on what is playing in the, the theater in Erie. Mm-hmm. That is what like fully determined your film culture. And you are like just a part of that scene. Yeah. And what happened is that archives change and also the archival turn is the archives changed from like a thing that is held by like studios or maybe some like libraries might have some Mm -hmm. that would still be reels that would be hard to get yeah and this is like a a very controlled archive to that archival culture turns to be outward and so then you get things like criterion who are like preserving the film but also creating home movie versions and yes. so you can go to the theater and see it still and they're yes. helping to preserve that but they are also giving you a version that's maybe not quite the same as like actually seeing the archived 35 millimeter film mm-hmm. but it is still letting you see a film and that allowed the creation of this is why i like use this term that i i'm kind of focusing on just like what was the thing that did it for me um but this, like, why I say, like, V Cinema Sicko, and why when I talk about, like, watching stuff that is, like, Wolf Guy, that mm. is outside of the actual range of V Cinema, it is still part of, like, what I think of as this, like, it is this archival turn. And for me, this, like, the V Cinema Sicko is the one of, like, all of this stuff is becoming something you can watch in your home mm-hmm. that has been archived and has been, like, then turned outwards to the masses where you have access to that archive in a way that you didn't before. And that allows you to become, like, no, 
I'm just really interested in this, and I am personally going to deep dive into this, and I'm going to become the V Cinema Sicko, or I'm going to become the 70s Horror Sicko, or whatever. And there's just like a thing that you can be now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that has just changed the way that people can relate to something like Blow Up as like, no, this is like a big, you know, generation defining movie to, oh, this is... This is just one of the movies that Antonioni is directed, and it's not even my favorite one. Yeah, you know? I'm spoiled. I'm spoiled with riches, is what I'm saying. <laughs> well, and, and it it ties back to to Blowout as well because I still love Blowout a lot. I don't get me wrong. Like I feel like I've been a little negative because I feel lower on it now than I yeah. did when I first saw it. But it's like I love, I really love Blowout, and also. Like, you know, the a lot of the, like, commentary on Watergate stuff I just don't think is as strong as, like, the conversation kind of is this, but not... The conversation, like, accidentally did it? Yeah. In a weird way. And and, and all the President's Men, like, explicitly is this. Yeah. Um, And I, I watched I watched that movie, like, two weeks ago. It's still one of my favorites. You to know? be clear, with the, the me saying the conversation actually did it, it was being, like, produced before a lot of that stuff happened, but then came out in all of the Watergate. And so then it became, like, tied to it. Yeah. And then probably some of the, like, end of production ended up tying into it. But, like, it was not, like, originally conceived and shot of as being, yeah. like, this is a thing about, like, wiretapping and Watergate. It was just, yeah. like, this concurrent being interested in it as this is being used to, like, blow open this giant presidential scandal. And so, like, that sort of, like, political thriller just didn't hit for me in the same way because I had seen some other stuff. And um, that, like, it's not as schlocky as other Brian De Palma films that were that were previous to this, uh, John Carpenter films that are concurrent or after this, um, yeah. or, or you know, any number of, like, European and Asian films that I've seen since then that are, like, way schlockier than this. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, and so, like, I love this movie a lot, but I don't think that it, like, finds the right balance of all the things that it's trying to do, and it yeah. didn't wow me in the same way and i think it has a lot to do with the a similar idea but more personalized of like you know the the archival turn the way you're talking about is being like a thing that like affects all of culture and what i'm talking about is just like me and how my tastes have shifted yeah (laughs) you know as i've seen more stuff yeah well and then also how that's been influenced by like you existing after the archival turn right exactly (laughs) Exactly. Um, yeah. The I've seen all that stuff because we have Arrow and Criterion, and I could just, you know, watch a movie that is either a better political thriller or or a schlockier trash here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you can go watch Vampires right now. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to everyone who is hoping to have the, the Neve porno check-in moment, but yeah. I didn't watch any. Um, that was the other thing is that we watched this movie tonight, and we were going to record tomorrow, and I was like, oh, you know what? I've never seen Phantom of the Paradise or Dressed to Kill. Maybe I'll go watch another De Palma film tomorrow, and then we can come back and record, and I can have, you know, some more, like, fully formed De Palma thoughts. And we're just like, no, let's record tonight. Yeah, let's just do it. <laughs> um, I guess my final thought, too, as I'm thinking, like, as I'm comparing these two, part of why I think I ended up liking Blowout more 
is that like blow up feels like very well constructed and like everything is kind of in its place. It's like meandering and empty, but in like a very intentional way. And it feels very focused on like what it wants to be. And then just that thing just doesn't hit for me. Whereas like blowout feels a little bit more like overly ambitious and like kind of weird and rough at spots because of that. Uh-huh. And that's like that weird roughness is just always going to appeal to me more. Yeah. Um, like just in and of itself. And then also some of the stuff it's doing being things that are also just more interesting to me than I think what blow up was trying to do. Yeah. Blow is like specifically like tying into like, you know, slashers mm-hmm. schlocky seeing some tits get stabbed on screen and then oh. tying it into like other themes and I, and I it's all a mess kind of but i like it for being slightly messy. it's the the other thing that's weird about this movie being such a mess and i think maybe this is my last thought before we have three questions that we should get to yeah um, are you including joe's uh, no joe sent an email but i know he also dm'd you i think okay yeah um, so, so, um, uh, blah, blah, blah. Oh yeah. The, the thing that's weird about this movie being kind of a mess is that I also think of this as like De Palma being like such a technical master of like, I'm just going to like, you know, do all these composite shots and all these like, you know, ridiculous angles and these spinning shots and these, you know, like stupid lighting that looks absurd, but I make it look so cool and sexy. (laughs) You know, I, I think of him as like being so in control of like the technical side of this movie that it's very funny the way in like the, the ways in which this movie is a mess because I, I think of it as so composed, you know? Yeah. Um, I think it's better because it's a little bit of a mess. Yeah. Can you rate the stairwells in blowout for me, please? Uh, we were talking during it cause there are so few stairwells and then they gave us a bunch at the end. They gave us so many at the end. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Cause it's like, they give us some really good ones. And they give us some important ones. But there's not one... There's, like, a really good-looking one in John Travolta's apartment. Yeah. There's, like, the really important one that they ascend that has the big American flag at the top. Yeah. There's and some they go up it, and ones. then he runs up it. And... He runs up it in slow motion. Yeah. I feel like that's the, that's the closest to a stairwell scene. But it's yeah. still not, like... I maybe like an A minus where like, I feel like you tried real hard, but it didn't quite come together fully, you know? Yeah. That feels right. Um, where can people send emails? If they want to send emails, we never say this export audio podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. You shall, shall I start with, so uh, Joe sent me one last time mm-hmm. um, through Twitter DMs, which again, if you follow my Lars account, you do have the the option to just like directly send me or you can like send me online questions or whatever. But I am slightly more likely to forget, especially if uh, we say that we're going to record one night and then it gets postponed like many, many nights. Mm-hmm. So sorry, Joe, that I forgot. But here we go. Um, question for stairwells. Which famous comic from the early aughts would you have 
uh, Kubrick do an adaptation of, and why is the answer Homestuck? The answer is not Homestuck. Do you have an answer for this? You sent me this question, and I was like, oh, that's cursed. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. What was my early aunt's Kubrick comic? I had an answer for this. What was it? What was it? Um, um, I'm trying to think of the one that like immediately came to my mind. And I don't know if this is the, the, um, the best one necessarily. Um, but was, uh, was it mega Tokyo or whatever? Mm, That rings a bell. What is that? It was like just some, I don't know. I thought I... it was like manga style, but I never really read it. Oh, I have my funny one. Okay, I know my one, um, and it's because of like the it would be VG cats, and I'm saying it. And one, it would just be dumb and bad and weird. And two, for a while, Scott Ramsumer, who writes VG cats, followed my main Twitter account um, for like years. And he didn't follow like a lot of accounts, and I don't know why he followed me. And then eventually he unfollowed me. So, um, I like went. I my brain went to like a too serious of a place to like to to meet Joao on, on on his level, um, because like my brain was like Jimmy Corrigan. No, I think that's like not serious and stuffy enough for for, or it's serious and stuffy in like not a way that I think Kubrick would. Wait. Was Jimmy Corrigan originally a webcomic? Oh, I wasn't even thinking. I forgot about the webcomics qualifier. I guess it's the, which famous comic from the early aughts. I was just thinking webcomic because... Because early aughts is webcomics. Yeah. Like, when I think of, like, early aughts stuff. Um. God. Penny Arcade. No. Um. <laughs> Penny Arcade is kind of funny, though. No, it's not. What do you have Kubrick no. in the arcade? I don't know. Just the concept is funny to me. Of <laughs> Kubrick. Feels like some, some of it is like so overwrought and just like the... The real answer is I want to see Kubrick destroy their lives. <laughs> <laughs> That's the real answer. That's why it's funny yeah. to me. You know what would be really great is the Stanley Kubrick version of Indie Game the Movie. Yeah. <laughs> no, the Werner Herzog version of Indie Game the Movie. Yes. <laughs> of him just antagonizing I need you Jonathan to get me Blow. Something. Okay. Drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Now I was just thinking of Gamer the Movie. <laughs> this is my favorite line from Gamer the Movie. <laughs> yeah, indie, indie Game the Movie would be great. Um, We have a question from Nora Blake. That's my wife. I love her. That is your wife. Who says, I don't even know what movie you watched tonight, but my question to you is this. What's the best monkey in a movie? Apes are allowed. Also, what's your favorite movie from the year you were born? Nora, I love you so much. We're not answering the second one because that went around on Twitter recently and neither of us had good answers. Yeah. But we will answer the best monkey in a movie. My first thought is Caesar and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. I like the second movie um, of the new ones better. I know I need to see the old ones. I know friends of mine are like big on like Dr. Zayas or whatever, but uh, yeah. I don't, I don't, um, I have only seen the first of the old Planet of the Apes movies. And so I don't really feel like I 
have that same attachment. Um, Kubrick's on my brain, so I immediately went to 2001 The Space Odyssey. Hmm? Yeah. Those are some good monkeys. Those are some good monkeys. What are some other monkeys? Um, there's like Bedtime for Bonzo or whatever that like- Oh, right. Parents just love to say to like my generation at least <laughs> when it was bedtime. So it was like what, Reagan? Yeah. Was Reagan who was in it? Yeah, I think With so. With a monkey? Yeah. 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 Um, mm. What are some other? I'm trying to think. Okay, so far better in the comic and the the TV show, um, but Gory from Cromartie High School. There's also a Crow High movie. Gory, I, isn't it? Animated monkeys don't count. The The movie is live action. Oh, okay. That counts. I mean, it's not an that actual counts. monkey, but it's a person in a monkey suit, which is the same as the yes. other monkeys we've seen. Yes, that so. counts. Um, also, I guess, I guess by my definition of animated monkeys don't count. Caesar from Dawn of the Planet of the Apes does not count, but, um, yeah. Um, I just love from high school a lot. Crystal asks a planet of the apes, a phrase which suggests that the planet is defined by the presence of the apes to you. What is earth? The planet of Hey, why is everybody why? asking us about monkeys? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Did Nora and Crystal, like, hang out and watch Planet of the Apes tonight or something? I don't know. Anyway, Earth would be the planet of insects because they're the most populous thing on the planet. Um, to me, um, Earth would be planet of the pickled ginger because that is the most important substance on the planet mm-hmm. is pickled ginger. Really? You like pickled ginger that much? Yeah. <laughs> I knew that you liked pickled ginger, but I did not. I, I had it with something yesterday. Oh, yeah. I got home from work and ordered some poke. And I was just like, damn, this is so good. Yeah. <laughs> That's just where my brain was at. Um, do we have another email? We have one more from Juo. Um, two from Juo here. Which movie covered by stairwells would you save from being taken by time-traveling mimes who are going to make a silent film version of them? So, in this... In this... Mimes are going to make silent films out of every stairwells movie, except one. <laughs> um, okay, okay. Let's get some obvious ones out of the way. Silent version of The Cure, or of Cure would rule. Yeah. Silent version of Wings of Desire would be awesome. I'm just being like, what is like a, a movie that we've done where I just feel like the audio is like so central? Um, Looking at ones that we've done this year, I feel like the biggest one for me is Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. But yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go... Yeah, let's check last year, but Sweet Sweetback is like Silent Mulholland Drive. That would be good. Yeah. Um... Like, some of these I, I like better not being silent. I don't just, like, by default want them to be silent movies. Yeah, but, um, like, City of God would be less good if it was silent. Yeah. Tokyo, the music in Tokyo Drifter is, like, important to me, but I still feel like Sweet Sweetback's badass song. If you told, if you told uh, Suzuki, like, you have to make a silent movie, he'd get you something that was worth watching. I tell you what. Yeah. <laughs> Um, 
Well, it's not even just that, like, Sweet Sweetback's badass song, like, there couldn't be a good silent movie version of it, because, again, like, I, we talked about how some of that stuff almost seems to be, like, pulling from Soviet film mm-hmm. editing and things. Yeah. Um, it's just that, like, that Earth, Wind, and Fire soundtrack is, like... So good. It's so... It's, it's like, referred to as a musical because of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like that's it. Where can people find you online? People can find me at Foxomnia on Twitter, or you can also follow uh, Mediv underscore Pile. Um, just like look at the episode description; it's in there. Yeah. You can find me on Twitter at Autumnal underscore Coffee. You can find all my podcasts at uh, exportodd.io. That takes you to the Patreon page where we have links to all the free feeds, or you can give us a dollar a month and get access to the podcasts early, or you can give us $5 a month and get access to Pop Town Funk. I'm sleepy and not going to do the whole spiel about what Pop Town yeah. Funk is, but you should subscribe. Um, and go listen to Ghost Divers. Yeah. Um, and I was just checking my phone because we were wrapping up, and it looks like somehow our like account got hacked or something. There's like a weird episode that just went up, so people go look at whatever that is. Man, I wish Glyph Catchers would come back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good news for you. They came back with their new, all-new podcast, Dumpster Divers. So go check that out. (laughs) Um, Okokoro is real. Okokoro is real. I was going to do more Glyph Catchers jokes, but I'm tired.
Hi everybody, it's Stairwells. Um, I want to. I, I want Neve to see a dumb video. Um, Wait, is this is this going in the podcast proper, or is this going to be at the end? I was going to leave that up to you to decide. Right? I I don't care. <laughs> I just wanted to like quick intro because if you leave this at the start, it's fine, but it'll also you know give you a chance to like. Mm-hmm. I'll decide it in post yeah. based on if I think this is a funny enough intro. Yeah. Or if I'm just like, why are you why are you making me do this? So we have here from the Brandon Sanderson YouTube page his video from yesterday titled An End to Secrets, which you don't care about Brandon Sanderson. No. I mean I, I read one of his books. Uh-huh. And I kind of enjoyed it by the end, but also it, his style is just not for me. I, don't I I was hooked right away. So yeah, it took me a really long time to like get into the book, and then I was like, oh, I can, like, I see the appeal. Mm-hmm. I was enjoying stuff by the end, but um, there there's like a thing where like every little piece just felt like there is like a an in universe explanation for it, and that we'll probably get it eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, and if not, it's still like written down in like a lore book. Yeah. And I just like when there's like weird ambiguity where that stuff can like take on strange meanings and stuff and isn't like world building, I guess. Uh-huh. In this like lore sense. Yeah, totally. But um but yeah, he did a he did a video yesterday as we record it is uh March 31st, 2021. Um so he did a he did a video. You know what the thing he's announcing at the end of the video is. I don't care about you knowing yeah. that he put out the prologue to the fifth book in a series you're probably not going to read. Yeah. Um, I'm going to listen to Ars Arcanum. Yeah. And be like, oh, okay. Yeah. And for a while I was like listening to uh, Mistborn along with it. Yeah. And then I was just like, eh, I think I, the, the appeal for me is just listening to the podcast. So yeah. Yeah. Um, if you stop doing that podcast, I will stop interacting with Brandon Sanderson texts. That podcast yeah. will continue. Don't worry. We're we're in it. We're lifers. Yeah. You did do the Kickstarter thing that finished at what? 41 million? 40 closer to 42 million than 41 million. It's okay. I like Atlas. We all have our things. <laughs> anyway, I just wanted you to watch this video cuz I find this video ridiculous and I wanted okay. you to see it. So um, I guess I'll decide in post if I'm going to put the audio in here or not. Yeah. Um, I'll just make a little like click sound when I press, just yeah. so I can sync it up. Oh wait, I didn't do it right. There we go. So here we are <laughs> at the end of what has shockingly become the most successful Kickstarter in history, and by a wide margin. I set out to achieve something, but I didn't expect. I mean... <laughs> Just a lengthy shot of him this? staring out the window. In, like, I should be whatever should suburb this is. It is a suburb of Salt Lake City. <laughs> Tons of crowdfunding records broken. Turning it up People little. excited about four <laughs> new books that they didn't even know were coming. Fan reaction There's the incredible. Salt Lake. Who wouldn't be excited? 
I have seen that once before. I and do yet, have family who lives in Salt Lake How am I ever going to deliver a surprise like this us. again? Mm-hmm. So is he. From now on, <laughs> the fans will be watching me. I love this. Will I, ever I just can't stop again? thinking about this ridiculous drone shot and his dumb coat. Won't twist or troll yeah. be spotted from a thousand miles away? How will I ever uh. top such an incredible, explosive, amazing reveal and subsequent experience? Should... Should I even try? It's just him looking out at the lake. They've got a fucking Lord of the Rings Perhaps drone the shot rolling over the hills of Utah. <laughs> After all, um, my Mormon cousin only started a real estate company and then I just signed me up for the newsletters. Mm -hmm. Like my email. Is that mm. it then? The solution? I don't know why. <laughs> I'm not gonna buy real Is it estate. finally time to stop the secrets? To give up trying to surprise people because I can never top what I've already done? Also, I love the royalty-free, like, yeah. music. The thing is, this is the thing when, when I did the hot singles where I brought a guy to Spearian. As well as, like, maybe because I just, like, was following nah, this when it was stupid. happening. Maybe you and Alexis so anyway, aren't aware that like, the this five. is ripping off Zeros. Oh yeah, this is totally ripping off Zeros. Yeah, but like, there's like a sound now that like didn't exist that Zeros created and is now ripped off, and it probably doesn't sound as impressive oh, anymore. Uh, yeah, totally. Because totally. it's just like dramatic music in movies. Yeah, totally. Is Zeros now? Yeah. Anyway. We could stop now. That's that's the end of the video. I just wanted you to see. I wanted you to understand yeah. why I was tweeting that motherfucker, uh, that fucking cunt. Because <laughs> not only does he announce this thing that I'm excited for, and I'm I haven't read it yet, but I'm gonna read, um, or probably listen to him read. Um, not only does he like announce this thing that I didn't think was coming that I'm all excited for, but he just has the most smug fucking video yeah. about how he's the coolest guy with the biggest dick. I'm I'm glad that we did watch the end so I could see his production logo that's just based off of his signature. Yeah. Anyway. Uh that's all going at the end. Okay. <laughs> that's that seems appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. Put these away. Yeah. I'll give us a little pause to edit, and then um, we can do the podcast. Okay.